Welcome to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz, a candid conversation as we learn about types of dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, frontal temporal, and Lewy body, and the effects on the people we love. Jill's years of dedication and experience help you adapt, overcome obstacles, and find positive outcomes. It's time for Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Hi, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful summer day. Today, I want to talk about a matter of survival (laughs) and also changing roles in relationships and how do we do this? How do we get patience and understanding in all of this? When we're dealing with somebody who has any type of dementia, we're having to make tough decisions not only for ourselves, but for the safety of that individual. And having dementia or memory loss kind of becomes a matter of survival for themselves. And, you know, we see a lot of dramatic personality changes in people, you know, a couple of years after they've been diagnosed, and especially if they have early onset, because we see so much acceleration in in the progression of the disease when somebody has the younger version of this. And it's difficult for families to kind of put their arms around it and say, what is happening? Why are we having all these emotional and physical challenges, you know, that are evolving um, for the role of the spouse and the caregiver, you know? It just gets really, really difficult. And even if you have people who are supportive, you say, wow, why are they able to do wonders with my person when I can't do anything with them? And part of it is that I think that we struggle to handle it well when we have a situation of such dramatic change and we don't have a lot of patience. We can try a lot of different things. We can... We can lie, we can con, we can, we can do certain uh, things that, that, you know, will help us achieve whatever goal we're trying to achieve to ourselves. Denial is huge for people. But all of that isn't going to change the diagnosis, right? It's just not. And even if you can kind of get an unexpected glimpse into the future – when you can see symptoms evolving that you're trying to learn to deal with, you know, it isn't necessarily like a guidebook of how every day is going to run. It's not going to be a situation where um, you're going to see the same symptoms all the time. They're going to uh, some days be very lucid and, and happy and communicative and other days they just seem really confused and then you wonder – you know, what is happening? And, you know, you can have things like, um, you know, a couple of years after a diagnosis, you walk into a room and and you uh, startle the person because you're not making any noise. You're not talking to them. You're not singing or anything like that. And they turn around and backhand you when you come up behind them. And you probably say to yourself, well, <laughs> you'd think I'd learn, you know, from all this. But, but, even like a, a day or two after they hit you by accident, you've got a black eye or you've got marks on your leg or something like that, 
in a in a lucid moment, that person will be beside themselves and really aghast of the fact that they that they did that, but they have no idea that they did it. They don't know what the cause of it is, and then you have to, you know, kind of make up an excuse of of oh, I tripped and I fell or something because you don't want to make them feel bad. I, I'm telling you, this is why I think it's kind of a matter of survival because. It is difficult when we see escalating violent behavior. It's difficult when our fears are increased. Um, you can have somebody, you know, that falls asleep uh, easily and then wakes up in the middle of the night swinging and, and you're like, what in the heck is happening? Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, I hear a lot of different – I hear a lot of different things – other things that feel like you're in a survival course is, you know, they might wake up in the middle of the night and head out the back door. You might have to keep your doors locked and lock the keys and uh, hide the keys and, you know, move the car or disable the car, hide the keys to the car. Um, if you don't, they could be two blocks away by the time you realize you heard the door shut or an, a ring noise that told you that somebody had, had approached or left the house. You know, this is the thing that gets really, really difficult. And you can have a neurologist give them some medication to keep them under control during difficult times. But even um, even that doesn't always work. You know, sometimes you want to resist medicating them. You don't want to want to have them snowed under or anything like that. But there comes a time in the survival mode where you might have to administer some small doses um, while they're at home, while they're at home with you. Because if you don't, then you don't get any rest. You don't get any sleep. They're getting up in the middle and taking off, you know, and it's terrible. It's just a terrible situation. You would not wish this on your worst enemy. You know, and and people, caregivers think that that person is mad at them, um, but it's not necessarily them showing their ire at you. It's more a case of they're just feeling what they're feeling. They're confused. They're lost. They're angry at the disease. And we internalize that and sometimes forget to be mad at the disease and not the person. That happens all the time. I have to tell people constantly, be mad at the disease, not the person. And But when it's directed at you because nobody else is there, sometimes, you know, it's it hurts. It's personal. It makes us cry. It makes us ache. It, it makes our heart hurt, you know. And, and sometimes we have to make difficult decisions to uh, have somebody else provide the care for that person. That's not... That's not easy either. And even if you have to, you know, have somebody have lunch with your person or take them out for coffee in the morning so that you can go and look for, um, you know, a care community for them, you might have trouble finding places that will take somebody that has had violent behavior. And I'm going to tell you, you don't want to lie about that to a community that is accepting your person because they, your person might strike out at someone at these various communities and within days 
they will give you an eviction notice and you will be off looking for another place. So do not do that, folks. If you've got a situation at home where you have somebody who uh, is reactive, that they they could be a little Louie body-ish, it takes no trigger whatsoever to um, have that person turn around and hit you or spit on you or something like that. If they will do that to you because of the disease and you are someone they love and have known, they will absolutely do it to somebody they don't know who's trying to get them to take a bath or a shower at a time they don't want to take it. So you have to remember those kind of things, you know. But the thing about the whole matter of survival is when you're home alone with a person that has advanced dementia and you're struggling to get through the day, there are times that you will feel broken. Like the situation has absolutely broken your spirit. It happens a lot. And, you know, even if you even if you reach that point and you have to go and look for a community, and sometimes you don't even want to tell your kids. You don't want to say, hey, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm, I've had enough of this. I, it's not that I don't love your mom or your dad or whoever it is um, or your brothers and sisters, whoever it is, um, and you're having to tell other relatives. Um, this can be really, really difficult. You've got to have somebody come to your house. You have to have them assess that person. There's a whole, whole realm of of tasks and things that have to checklists that have to be addressed before you can move somebody but one of those things on that list is telling people telling them that you have reached a point where you are broke you're broke emotionally you're broke from a from a physical standpoint it's just too hard to do this on your own and I'm telling you, the, the stress of not telling other people will not serve you well. So if you can tell family and friends, if you can tell your kids that you're going to move them into a community, I think it will be better for you. And I know people people are scared. Um, they're scared. And sometimes when that person's been violent, when they've been in that state for such a long time and we get worn out, I had a client who actually said to me that she actually hated her husband. She said it really bothered her when she took him to the nursing home and that you know, the feeling of, of, of the, I just can't do this anymore. I, I, I think I actually hate him at this point. Only lasted for a few days. And she was telling me that she felt so selfish for feeling that way. It wasn't, and I told her, it wasn't, it's not him that you hate. It's the disease that you hate. This is the moments of survival. This is the moments that break us. These are the hard times people don't understand. And when you're going through it, you don't have time to think. It's just tough. And it's tough on your kids. It's tough on your family members. Um, 
you know, they, they watch it progressing the same as you do. And even if you've hidden a lot from your kids, um, I don't, I don't know why people do that. Uh, maybe you think that they'll end up hating that person too. I don't know. I don't know why people do things like that. But they know, they recognize the stress you're going through. They recognize the problems. If they don't, all you have to do is ask them to stay with your person for a weekend while you get a little respite. That'll cure it. (laughs) Can't live in denial for too long that way, right? I mean, as soon as As soon as you let somebody else take that care, they're calling you, begging you to come back. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. So I I really hope that when you are in that survival mode, when you are struggling and you don't know what to do, you're getting to a point where you have lost your compassion for the person. You've lost your patience. That is an incredible red flag and sign to you that you have reached your breaking point and that you're to a place where you have to make a decision because you are emotionally and physically exhausted, okay? You just live every day for what it is. You live every day for what decisions, difficult decisions, necessary decisions have to be made, and it's hard. It's it's crazy, crazy hard. Uh, I don't want the show today to be a total downer, but I do need to speak to the people that are really struggling with, you know, trying to just get through the day, to just try to, you know breathe in and out without losing their temper. So what kind of things can you do? What can you do? Well, I can tell you all day long, don't take it personally, but you do. You will. You'll take it personally. You know, we're not immune to to hurtful things. You know, when something hurts our feelings, it's it's difficult. If you can leave the room, if you can, you know, wait 10 minutes and come back as long as they're in a safe place, try that. Remember every day that that everyone has a bad day. Everyone has a bad day. But when we're caregiving for somebody with with Alzheimer's or Lewy body or Parkinson's or something like that, we struggle to recognize that we are sliding down into a depression. And I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to them. So, you know, when you can, let them go take a nap. You get some rest. Um, Get them out of overstimulating environments so they're not uh, so combative. Play some soft music. Soft music is great. It it helps a lot. If you can just have quiet time, spending quiet time, maybe watching a movie or something like that, uh, maybe that could help you. Even this morning, I was telling someone who is a caregiver for a person for Parkinson's, try to put yourself in their place. 
you know, try to try to understand when they're resisting activities. I I push activities. I say all day long that I think activities are great. But when a person is getting further progressed in the disease and they are starting to want to rest more and sleep more and things like that, we have to adjust their schedule so we don't load it up every day. So today I was telling a caregiver who said she's emotionally spent. She's just she's just tired and she's out of ideas of of ways to work with her person. And so, you know, I reminded her to put herself in the shoes of that person. And she said she tries to do that every day. I'm sure she does. I'm sure she does. But here's the difference. If you are an able-bodied person, you're putting yourself in their position as an able-bodied person. Now put yourself in a situation maybe where you've had the flu or you have a migraine or you've got aches and pains or you're just off on your day, you're not feeling good, right? And on that day when you're not feeling good and it takes everything you have to get up out of bed or not go back to bed or you're just not feeling good, that's where they're at a lot, especially the combative people that make us be in survival mode. (laughs) They are having a bad day pretty much every day. So don't think of yourself as able body when you put yourself in their position. Put yourself in their position on a day when you don't feel your best, and then you'll have a better idea of what they're going through. I, I really think that would make a difference. You know, if all else fails... Try and have somebody intervene with respite care. Uh, have a family member come over and spend a couple days. Uh, call a care community and find out if you can uh, have your person stay there for the weekend or something like that. Respite care is huge. It is huge. And even even if it's not respite overnight, if it's respite um, for just a couple of hours or something like that. And usually the local Easter seals will provide um, some money to you if you fill out some paperwork and um, apply for one of their, uh, I don't know exactly what they call it, but it's a, it's a grant or um, something along those lines where they'll give you X amount of money if you fill out the paperwork. So so try that. I need to take a drink here, my fans. Okay. So what other things could you think about? Well, the only gift that Alzheimer's gives us is if you wait five minutes, the person will forget what you were talking about. So take that a little further. Tomorrow will be a different day. You can get up and start all over tomorrow and try something new, have a different plan, go for just a walk during the day and then listen to a podcast and have lunch and take a nap. Don't fill every day so full that you feel like you're drowning. Try not to do that, okay? And if you can... Tap into your understanding, your compassion, your empathy, and try to give them a reason to be positive. I mean, not every day can we just wake up and be happy. I I try, but 
you know, even for me, that doesn't always work. So think of things that that are fun. Think of things that are good. What are some things that you could talk about that make you laugh? Is there a comedy channel you could turn on? Um, can you go through old photo albums and stuff like that? Anything you can do to try to change that tra- trajectory because they're not going to remember what's going on five minutes from now. And the energy you put forth is most often the energy you will get back. Now, again, if we have a Louis body or a frontal temporal person, that may not be true. So you're going to have to kind of bear with them, try to understand. Remember the person that they used to be, that they once were, and remember the love you had for that person because it is easy to let that slide through your fingers. When you're angry, when you're frustrated, when you're not feeling great, you know, it's hard. It is hard to remember that person as they once were. And we shift that that paradigm to being us as a care person who now has to handle everything in the house. And we have quickly slid back into that survival mode really quickly. You know, everybody has a bad day, right? Everybody has a bad day. You have a bad day. They have a bad day. So like I said, just start over tomorrow. Treat it as a new day, you know? And if you need to, talk to that person. Let them know that, you know, sometimes we have a bad day. It's not it's not directed at them and that you're sorry that you lose your patience and things like that. That is that is crazy hard. It is crazy hard. So sharing with them that you don't mean to lose your patience and your understanding and that you understand that something they just did that lit your fuse and, and made you angry was caused by the disease, not by them, and have that conversation. I think talking to that person and having that conversation makes everybody feel like you're communicating on a better level. From from talking to thousands of people with the diagnosis, I can tell you that they tell me all the time that they know by the look on somebody's face if they've asked the same question over and over and over again. They They know. They know that. They know that. So when you're in that survival mode, sometimes you might just have to sit with them, hold their hand. If they like that, hold their hand. Walk with them. Listen to them. Talk to them and ask them how they're feeling. We forget a lot of times to ask somebody how they're feeling about their diagnosis. How do how do they feel about What's happening to them? How do they feel when they're confused? How do they feel when there's too much stimulation in a room or when it's just too quiet? We can learn a lot if we open that dialogue. And we don't have to talk about it all the time. We don't. We don't have to mention it every five minutes. We don't have to always bring it up. But it is good when that person can share 
when they've had a moment that they're confused about and let their family members know what they were thinking. And it's good for us to be able to talk to them and say, this is how it affected me. And, you know, don't worry. It's not always going to be bad. We all have bad days. Um, we're just going to think of the good days and we're not blaming you. Um, I'm, please don't blame me. Um, and just have those conversations. And if you are in a place where that survival mode is eating you alive, you need to back off for a while. You need to leave the room. You need to go outside. You need to take a walk. You need to write down your thoughts. You might want to journal, you know, um, things like that because it's so hard. It's so hard. And we have all kinds of things that happen in these scenarios them thinking you've stolen something from them, them not wanting to take a bath or a shower. Um, I heard a bizarre one the other day where somebody was upset about their husband with Parkinson's bumping into the walls and scuffing the walls all the time. We get to a point where the anger at the disease sometimes gets askew, it gets off, gets off the chart, and we start blaming the person. And what happens then, like I said a minute ago, is that we get to a place where we are angry with them. We we resent the situation that we've been put in. We feel like, you know, nobody's listening to us. Um, we We wonder if they don't even know my name, why is this, why is this even worth it? Um, and these are the hard, hard cases. Not all of you. There are many of you who are on a, on a good plane, a good trajectory with your person. But these are the tough cases I'm talking about today. When we are in survival mode, we, we have lost our independence. We can't go anywhere. Uh, we can't leave the house without them. They're incontinent, so now we are wiping their bottom when they go to the bathroom. That's something we don't even enjoy for ourselves, right? Um, our advice doesn't matter anymore. We can't have an intellectual conversation with the person. They have an empty stare when they look at us. You know, we we feel like we've lost that person to this disease and there's nothing we can do about it. And we watch them struggle, but it's just... It's become where it bleeds into your being, it bleeds into your daily, you know, experience. And you see that person having fear and, and that fear gets transferred into maybe outbursts. But what do you do with your fear? What do you do with the fear of not knowing what changes are coming, what food they're going to like today, uh, what what person they're going to want to be around or not be around. You know, they, the sadness that that person has over the loss of their intelligence, watching their memory slip away, the massive confusion, and then the inability to speak or the inability to read or interact with you, or they can't even say, I love you to you anymore, or this was a big deal 
for you in your life. You know, you always want, you always said, I love you each time you walked out the door when you talked on the phone. This is when we get to survival mode. This is when it becomes unbearable. And I know I see you, I hear you, I read your emails. This is so many of you out there. I just want you to know that I care. And, you know, some days we can't just come up with an idea to fix it. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more of this conversation. Living and working with Alzheimer's and other dementias can often be challenging. Summit Resilience Training provides education, utilizing non-medical approaches for those who work with our friends affected by dementia. Believing families still need one-on-one assistance, we provide classes which help them understand the diseases affecting their loved ones, offering strategies and techniques for success with activities of daily living and working with confusing behaviors. We offer in-home assessments to clarify symptoms of dementia diseases and help families work together to find moments of joy while living with memory loss and impairment. Education programs instilling person-centered care philosophies are offered for professional caregivers working in communities and homes, which can be customized for their staff. Training is also available for first responders, such as law enforcement, fire, and EMT personnel. We are passionate that people with dementias, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and others, are approached with compassion and understanding, and those who work with them have all the tools they need for success. Call us at Summit Resilience Training, 303-420-6988 to schedule a class or in-home assessment. Visit our website at summitresiliencetraining.com for more information. Welcome back to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. Okay, so I was talking today about being in survival mode when... The scope of the care has become just too difficult. We are struggling with our loss of independence. We are struggling with the changes going on in the brain of the person with the diagnosis. We're struggling with their fear, our fear, our anger about the course that life is taking that we didn't see coming and suddenly a diagnosis in a doctor's office has changed our world dramatically and role changes start almost immediately because the person that doesn't have the diagnosis feels like they need to sort of watch everything that that person is doing. They can't can't really escape it. I mean, if you're living with them, you can't escape it. You saw the problems. That's why you went to the doctor anyway, right? So what happens almost immediately is that with dementia and memory loss, family members often find themselves having to adjust to new roles, roles they never wanted roles they they just did not see coming. So as an example, we see men who suddenly need to figure out how to cook, clean, go buy bras, 
<laughs> whatever, you know, things that they've never done. And we have women who've never written a check. They've never dealt with insurance and finances. They're losing and adding roles and responsibilities that people are not necessarily prepared for because they don't expect that to happen. They don't expect a diagnosis. And the role reversals are the biggest challenges I think any family goes through. I mean, you know, I had somebody say to me the other day, you know, I'll probably I'll probably cry right now, but but my mom doesn't feel like my mom anymore. I feel like she's imprisoned in her body and my mom was a very strong person. She volunteered. She gave, gave, gave to the community and was fully in charge of the household. And to see her not be able to make a decision or write a check or to depend on me for everything is crazy hard to watch. And it is. I when when my client told me that I was thinking back to my mom and you know how she was such a giving 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 person and then got to a point where she could not do anything for herself. And you know in the case of a parent, you have to get used to switching roles with them. They're not the person any longer that you relied on for answers. The people that you could go to for advice, um, now you're the one in charge of their care when they were always in charge of yours. And it's a complete change in the roles of the relationship. Like, you know, like I was saying a minute ago, like giving them a shower or wiping their bottom. I mean, these are these are tough, tough things. And we say to ourselves, oh, my God, I don't want to do this. I, I actually had a client that tell, told me one time, she said, I when I will not wipe my husband's bottom after he goes to the bathroom. I refuse to do it. <laughs> you know, it's not a good thing for sure. It is not a good thing. But I find that very interesting because if it were my husband, I don't think I'd be that upset about it. I might wear rubber gloves. <laughs> But I don't think I'd be that upset about it. But then again, I'm not in that situation, right? It isn't happening in my world right now. It's happening in yours. Yeah, it's tough. You know, we have we have weird stuff like people waking up in the middle of the night wanting ice cream at 4 a.m. You know, what do we do? You know, the person doesn't need drugs at 4 a.m. They need a hot fudge sundae. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But are we going to get out and go to a Dairy Queen at 4 a.m.? No, we are not. So what are we going to do? We're going to just get them in the car and take them for a ride? You know, well, you know, why don't we just don a, a, a chauffeur's cap and, and you know, act like we're driving a limo? Sometimes that's the ridiculousness that we feel. That's how we conjure it up in our mind, right? That's how, you know, that's how we we start perceiving the situation. I'm just a chauffeur. I'm just a, 
I'm just a a maid, you know. This is this is the difficulty of survival mode. We have to somewhere dig deep and pull out that patience and that understanding. And it does not come easily. It does not come easily. You in many cases, don't have a choice. You're going to have to deal with the situation. You have to convince yourself to take two steps away from the situation to become the caregiver because if you don't, you, you're going to start realizing that your days together as a husband and wife, as a child to a sibling, those days are over. They're over. When they get to a point where you're struggling through every single day, those days are over. It's hard. It's it's difficult for everybody. You lose the mechanics of lovemaking. They, they can't remember how to do it anymore. It gets too frustrating for both of us. And, you know, then then you'd end up in tears, right? You have to get to a place where you say, well, I guess I don't need that anymore. You don't want to make a joke of it. You might have to say, well, let's just snuggle. Let's snuggle together. But that hurts. That hurts. It's disappointing. It's it's a dramatic change. It's a dramatic change. And, you know, contrary to popular belief... Many people, uh, especially in their older years, still have a very robust sex life. Um, For some people, that goes away young. For those of you, I feel sorry for you. (laughs) Hey, we have to look for a moment of laughter here, right? Uh, I feel bad for you, but, but for other people, that... That love and that intimacy and that togetherness can grow and become stronger through the years. And then all of a sudden, dementia strikes, Alzheimer's strikes, Lewy body strikes, FTD strikes. And it changes everything. It changes everything. Um, it's, it's difficult to accept that you're not going to have that part of your life anymore. It's hard. You know, I get this conversation often with caregivers and and especially more the person with the diagnosis when we're talking about losing that intimacy, losing that intellectual conversation with their loved one. I think that that is a place where the patient's starts starts eroding the understanding and the compassion starts eroding the relationship as you knew it begins to disappear i i kind of don't want to use the word deteriorate but it de- begins to disappear when you're parkinson's alzheimer's any of these when you're in a situation where where you no longer have that intimacy, then you become that person's caregiver. 
you start sleeping in a separate room because they're not sleeping well at night. Um, this is where depression sets in. This is where crying sets in. Um, that's hard. I, I would say early, early, early when that starts happening, you should go to a counselor. You should visit a counselor and talk about it because the sexual intimacy is a big issue and it's a game changer when it disappears. And when you're younger, if that disappears, oftentimes people end up in divorce. But when it happens, when somebody has some type of dementia, that's different. That's different. And we go through a huge grieving process of the loss of the marriage as you knew it and how the disease is changing that whole paradigm to something new and that you don't want. You know, it's really, it's really, really tough. And again, this is where survival mode changes to managing your emotions and trying to find somebody to talk to about this. Um, you know, it's it's just really, really hard. And I think this is where if if you are are feeling angry about that and and we're to a place where we're just snuggling with that person once in a while, just having that quiet time with some soft music playing, that might be the best part of your day. That might be where you find some peace and some solitude and it almost feels like they're still there in in the in the realm of the person that you knew all this time. You know, it's it's just it's just really really hard. And I don't think the general person understands how long survival mode lasts. And if you don't share it, then they don't know at all. Okay? And then you pop up someday and say, it's time for a group home. It's time for an assisted living. It's time for a memory unit. Um, and people don't understand and they start questioning why you have made that decision. They think to themselves, I would never put my person in, a, in a, an assisted living or a memory unit. You know, who would want to do that? Well... You know, not only that, but the whole till death do us part and sickness and in health and all that kind of stuff goes right out the window. We have to figure out what works for us and what we're going to do to make our world a little better. And if you are to a place that you are in full bore survival mode, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is get into some counseling if you can. See if you can uh, talk to somebody, see if there's counseling therapeutics for um, your with your insurance, okay? Try to do that. Try to talk to somebody about what you're feeling so you can release those emotions, put it back to 
recognizing that this has changed your life and it's changed your your world to a place you don't want it to be, but where you can release that anger towards that person. Just blame it on the disease itself, not the person, because we have to get back to that or we won't we really won't survive. The second thing I would have you do is try to figure out how to get a home care company or a cleaning company to come in and take take off some of the uh, tasks that you have to do during the day or during the week. Um, see if they can spend some time so you can go out and get some respite and enjoy yourself. Um, get, you know, get input from other family members about what you can do. Um, another thing you can do is send some of your family members who don't seem very understanding or thoughtful about what you're going through. Send them to classes for education. Um, I think that would make a big difference. Um, sharing what is going on. Um, even Even if you have to, you know, carefully discuss with people you know, doing it very strategically, how you've been feeling and the and what you've been doing and and how the symptoms have been affecting you and the things that you've tried to do to make the situation better, but it's reached a point where you are depressed and you're unhappy and you're you're starting to not like the person you're caring for. Um, you know, that's 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 tough. That's tough, and. It's not always easy to get it out. And if it, if you can't or you can't say it in the right way or you don't want it to be misperceived, I recommend you sit in front of a fireplace or out in your yard on or in your driveway or something. Get a tin bucket and um, that's about, oh, I don't know, six inches or more deep and some matches <laughs> and write down all the things that are just pissing you off, the things that are making you crazy. The things that make you mad, the statement, I hate the person that, that the person you love has become. I hate the person who wrote this, that I hate that person because that wasn't me. That's not who I am. That's not really how I feel about things if I were in my right mind. But right now I'm just angry and I want to say I hate my life. I hate, I hate the situation. I hate the disease. Um, Whatever, whatever, write it down and then light it a fire and drop it in that bucket. Do whatever you have to do. Whatever you have to do to try to ease that pain for yourself. Okay? You have to do that. And when the safety of that person or an issue that of the of the the symptoms being too difficult are are just too hard or incontinence is is taking you over you you're, you just can't do it you can't be in the bathroom with them uh, those kinds of things are tough 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 and you have to make a decision if you can do it anymore and at that point. Give yourself a break. Try not to be too mad at yourself and just say this, the safety of that person has become to a point where I, I just can't do it anymore. I just can't do it anymore.
So, you know, you might make a decision with your person that as long as as that person knows who you are, they will remain at home. Well, that's perfect. That 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 would be great. Um, sometimes having enough money to put a person in a a community is difficult. Um, you may have to go back to work to pay for it. You may be worried about being retired and that you don't have enough money in your savings. There's no way you'll ever be able to pay for that person's care. Again, survival mode, right? Um, you might have to be a greeter at Walmart just to be able to pay for for them to be in a group home or a memory unit. That's That's tough. And if you're completely out of money, you have to choose a Medicaid community. Uh, That is one of the harder things you'll ever have to do because a lot of the Medicaid places are just not very nice. So, you know, the bottom line, folks, is this is tiring. It's, It's unnerving. It's disappointing. It's... It's grief. It's so many things rolled up into one thing. And then it becomes survival mode. And when you're in survival mode and things are not going well, when they, when you are taxed out of your mind um, with things that you have to do, get yourself in a class. Read a book. Find a way to find respite. Call in home care. Take up something that you've always wanted to do, playing guitar, learning a new language, doing a cross-stitch, jogging, (laughs) being out of the house for a half an hour or something like that. Survival mode is not a good place to be. And this is where you make big decisions on how you're going to deal with it. And if you have to keep that person at home due to money, you have to figure out a way to survive. You have to. So you're going to need to find a way to share the care. You're going to have to start asking people to come in and spell you. You might have to come up with a list of people that have always offered to help and ask them to come over and stay with your person for an hour per day. You've got to find a way to talk about it with a counselor or with family or friends or whatever it takes because depression is an ugly hole to fall into. And it is very easy to do that. So I'm asking all of you to really think this through. And don't don't get stuck in that survival mode. Don't get so angry that you hate your person. Don't, don't let this drag you down to a place where you can't see the sun anymore. Okay? Ask for help. Get that bucket out and that pad and pen of paper with some matches. Whatever you have to do to make it work. Because with the rising cost of nursing homes these days, if you don't have long-term care insurance, you can't afford to be in one. You can't. And the Medicaid places are not great. Well, this was not a very happy conversation today, and I'm sorry about that. But, you know, uh, one of my listeners wrote me and said, 
you know, I, I sometimes make it sound so easy. I sometimes um, make it sound like everything's just doable and and happening. And for and she would like me to do a show that just is real, that just talks about the real things that people feel. So, Karen, this show was for you. <laughs> Um, I really would prefer to have more positive thoughts and and um, strategies and techniques and such for you. But living in the real world today, um, I hope that you recognized yourself in this conversation, in this podcast. And uh, somewhere, all of you who feel like Karen and understand how she felt when she wrote me a very long email um, – that you know that there's somebody out there that cares about you. I do. I care about you. Your doctors, I hope, care about you. Your families, your friends, I hope, care about you. Don't let the depression tell you different, okay? Deal with the grieving process. Go through it. Work through it. Write it down. Burn it. Whatever you have to do. But you will get through it. And nobody knows better than a family living with some type of dementia that we have the longest goodbye on the planet. We have the longest goodbye ever. So if you don't feel understood, get in a support group. You'll meet a lot of other people that feel the same way you do. All right, folks. I think that's enough for today, but the lesson is you can survive survival mode and somebody loves you, me. I'll see you next week on Dementia Resilience with Jill Lawrence. You've been listening to Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz. To learn more about her resources, services, classes, or to book speaking engagements, visit Jill's website at summitresiliencetraining.com. A new podcast drops every Tuesday, so join us as we learn more about dementias, resilience, and overcoming obstacles to find a positive outcome. Dementia Resilience with Jill Lorenz can be found on your favorite podcast provider. Please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Musical and technical support provided by Brian Hunter. See you next week.